Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. This is the time of year when everyone starts going to the beach. They start heading out on summer vacation. It's an exciting time. It's a fun time. When Avery was about three, we went on a trip to Gulf Shores and we were staying at a condo with a very large pool. And one particular afternoon, I decided to take her swimming. I think John Hunter was an infant and so Vicky stayed behind with him. We had a good time. We used to play this game where I pretended like I was going under the water and I couldn't swim and she would dive in and make her way to me and she would be the lifeguard and she would rescue me. It was fun the first three times. When we reached the hundredth time, it was a little challenging. And so got her out of the pool that day and ran into someone, started talking to them. And we got into a a deep conversation. And all of a sudden, I realized that Avery had taken off her swim ring. And then I realized that I didn't know where she was. And I started looking around the area and could not find her. And you know the feeling. Your, Your heart kind of seizes up a little bit. And... I walked around the pool, still could not find her. Well, the the lady that I had been talking to, she realized the urgency of the situation, and she started looking as well, and she grabbed another mother, and she started looking, and panic had set in in my soul. And I remember coming to the realization that I was going to have to look into the pool that I was going to have to look into the water had I lost my child and perhaps she fell in and she has drowned. And it's that feeling is just impossible to describe, stopping and purposefully looking over the side of the pool and scanning the water. And a, a lady came up to me and she said, Sir, are you looking for a child? I said, Yes. And she said, follow me. And there were, there's very large, short in stature palm trees that surround the pool. And there's one that has a, it creates a very large shaded area. And Avery had gone behind the palm tree and lay down and was taking a nap. I cannot describe to you the relief that I felt at that moment when I knew that she was safe and that she was okay. And how did I feel as a father? I felt like a failure. That I did not watch her. I did not care for her. I did not keep my eye on her. That I was not with her every single second protecting her. But that's the reality of being a parent in a fallen world. We are not perfect. We cannot be with our children, protecting them and watching over them every moment. But here's the great news about the gospel. Here's the great news 
about the Word of God, and we see it in our passage this morning. That our God watches over us constantly. And He will never, ever forsake us. He will not lose track of us for a single second. His heart is always with us and He protects us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are encountering Your Word this morning and we ask that Your Holy Spirit would open it up to us so that we hear You speak and that we are strengthened and we are encouraged. Father, that we would be reminded of how much You love Your children. and That You will never forsake us. Forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you speak this morning. Amen. So there are three things that we're going to look at this morning. Number one, your God will never forsake you. Number two, God has delivered you. And number three, God accepts you. God will never forsake you. God, will, God has delivered you. God accepts you. So we're going to look at first at verses 33 through 34. And I want to help you understand what the English Standard Version means by the hours. Jesus Christ was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning. When it mentions the sixth hour until the ninth hour, we are talking about noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We see an unusual darkness that descends on the land. Now, I have read books, apologetic books that try to explain what this darkness is and how it happened and what it could have been. And I think the answer really is that it was a special, unique act of God the Father through creation. That He is emphasizing to those who have gathered at the cross that this is a time of judgment. That this is a significant season in the history of the world in which Jesus goes to Calvary and darkness to sins because He is atoning for us. He is taking upon Himself our covenant punishments, the punishments that we deserve. And so if you think about this as something special and unique that God does, it's very similar to the birth of Jesus. Scholars have tried to explain the astronomical phenomenon of the star of Bethlehem. Perhaps it was this or perhaps it was that. I think also that it was unique. That God was saying through creation that my son has come and this is special and this is different. I'm coming to rescue from sin and misery and death. And so here is a sign. And so when we come to the cross, there is, this is also a sign of the transaction that is taking place at this very moment. And then Jesus says the words that we just read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now we know that Jesus Christ 
is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And so from a godly perspective, Jesus knows exactly why this is happening. He knows exactly what is transpiring on the cross. But as a man, you see his anguish and his torment and the pain that the Father has turned away because at that moment, Jesus is saving His people. And God is holy and He cannot look upon sin. And so Jesus, the man, screams out. And when He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It reminds us as God's covenant people of 1 Samuel 12, 20-22. So if you have your Bibles, let's go back to the Old Testament. And let's see what the great prophet has to say. 1 Samuel chapter 12 beginning with verse 20. This is Samuel's farewell address to the people of Israel. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord... Hear this. The Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Again, Samuel is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he's encouraging them to be faithful to the covenant, to obey God, because He has chosen you. And He has placed His love upon you. And He cares for you. You are His. And what do we know about the nation of Israel? We know that they were sinful. And they, we know that they did not obey the covenant. And we know that they turned their back on the Lord. They are similar to us. We are sinful people who more often than not turn our back on the Lord. And so what did God do for His covenant people? Those that He made promises to, what did He do? The Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. You see, God understood that we would never be able to obey the covenant perfectly, that we would never be able to follow Him, that we would never be able to do all the right things that we are supposed to do. And so God takes the situation into His own hands. God the Father looks to the Son and He says, I need you to go. And I need you to be faithful. And I need you to be perfect. And I need you to obey the covenant. I need you to do all of these things. And then I need to place their punishment on you. You need to swallow it. You need to eat it whole. You need to crush the head of the serpent. And then the Spirit will go forth and give the blessings that you've earned because of your goodness and your faithfulness and your obedience. 
The Spirit will go forth and give those blessings to my people and they will be with us forever. The kingdom will come. Everything will be restored and they will dwell with us forever. And so Jesus does this in obedience to the Father. And why does He do this? Because the Lord has said that we are His people and He will never forsake us. And so when Jesus is hanging on the cross, when He screams out in anguish, my God, why have You forsaken Me? It is because God will never forsake us. Jesus does that so that we can be God's people and we can belong to Him forevermore. As I prayed earlier, we all come to this place and we come with issues and struggles and anxieties and fears. We're we're hurting. And here's Jesus on the cross crying out for you, telling you, you are mine and I am always, always watching you. In fact, Jesus, our Redeemer, our Lord, our God, our King, at this very moment is praying over us. He is there for us. And so we we give our lives over to Him and we trust that He is with us because we are His people. It's a good word. And it's a greater Savior. Secondly, God has delivered you. God has delivered you. This is verses 35 through 8. The bystanders believe that Jesus is calling out for Elijah. In verse 36, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. He's giving him this wine vinegar in order to perhaps strengthen him so that he can call out to Elijah, hoping he'll be delivered. Clearly the crowd misunderstands what Jesus is saying. They misunderstand the situation completely. Verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In Judaism, in that period, they believed that Elijah was the protector of the innocent. And so here is Jesus, perhaps, calling out to Elijah to save him from the tragic death of the cross. Yes, they misunderstood what was taking place, that Jesus, the Son of God, was calling out to his Father. Jesus had no interest in coming down from the cross. Jesus was purposely there in obedience to the Father's will to redeem us to save us, to bring us unto Himself forevermore. That's who our Savior is. 
And then you see that the curtain of the temple was torn into. This is perhaps the curtain that stood in front of the Holy of Holies. This curtain, this tapestry pictured heaven. It was the most visible curtain to the public when they gathered at the temple. And to help you understand the magnitude of this curtain, it was at least 90 feet from top to bottom, perhaps more. And it's torn in two. It's rendered in two. God works a miraculous act like bringing the darkness of judgment. And what is the Lord saying? What does this symbolize? Well, scholars think perhaps two things. First, it's a prediction of the coming destruction of the temple. And then secondly, it's a reminder to God's people that Jesus is the final high priest, as we mentioned last week. And that He is offering Himself up as the final sacrifice. And that through His ministry and His life and His death and His resurrection, that God's people now need nothing else. That He is everything. That He has atoned for us. That He has saved us. And that God no longer dwells in this special place in the temple in Israel, but there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God will be present in a way with His people in a greater way than He ever has before. And all of this is transpiring. All of this is happening because of Jesus. He is the greater King. He is the greater prophet. He is the greater priest. Look to Him. He is the new Israel. Jews and Gentiles. And so, in this moment when Jesus breathes His last, Mark is telling His audience and Mark is telling us, here is your Deliverer. Here is your Savior. Here is the One who has come for you. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Allow Him to save you. This, this Jesus, this King, this Deliverer. God accepts you. A longer passage, verses 39 through 47. So, one of my favorite shows classic TV sitcom is Frasier. And there's an episode in Frasier where they go to this health spa. And they're very excited to be there and they are allowed into the silver door. And they go in and they're pampered and they come out and the brothers, Niles and Frasier, are talking about just how wonderful this is and how great the silver level is and that the people below them don't get access to that part of the spa and that they're special. And then a friend comes out of another door and they talk about how great this, this, this store is, excuse me, this spa is, 
and they find out that he's gold level. And they are obsessed with the fact that they haven't been to the gold level. And so they do everything that they can possibly do to get to come back and to enter into the gold level of the spa. And they do. And they come out and they're like, you, you can't imagine how great the gold is compared to the silver. And we, we can't believe that we ever even liked the silver. Like that's insignificant. Now that we have been to the gold section of the day spa, we have seen the best of the best. And then a man comes out of another door and they begin to ask him questions and they believe, they think for whatever reason, it's an employee of the spa, that this is the platinum section. So they go home and they strategize for days on how they're going to go back to the spa and they're going to sneak into the platinum section because they don't know how to get in there otherwise. And the, the story ends with them finally getting through the door of the platinum section and they end up in the alleyway of the spa and they're standing by the trash cans. They worked and worked and worked to be accepted and where did they end up? They ended up in the trash. And so when we come to this passage in 39 through 47, Mark is painting a beautiful picture for you to see, and it's quite interesting. Who do we find in these verses? Well, we see the centurion. We see the women who loved Jesus dearly. And we see Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Mark is telling us something significant. The centurion. Who is he? More than likely, he was the Roman officer in charge of the crucifixion. He is a representation of the Gentile world. He is a part of the Roman government that is oppressing the nation of Israel. An unwanted Gentile. And then you had the women. And Mark paints a glowing account of these women. They loved Jesus. They loved Him dearly. And when most of the apostles have run and they are hiding, they are there. Their eyes are on their Savior. But if you understand the culture in which they lived, it was a difficult culture for women. They were not valued. They were not appreciated. They were not held in high esteem. But here they are, central to Mark's account. And if you will remember, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, essential in the beginning to this gospel. And then thirdly, Joseph of Arimathea. Remember, it is the leaders, the religious leaders of the Jews who want to see Jesus crucified. 
And I said a couple of weeks ago that if you understand the account in its totality, it is both Jewish religious leaders and Roman leaders. And what Mark is trying to say is we are all complicit in the crucifixion of Jesus because of our sin. And when you come to 39 through 47 and you see the centurion and you see the women and you see Joseph of Arimathea, Mark is painting a story. He's telling a story for you to hear that the kingdom of God is for everyone. That the kingdom of God is for Gentiles. That the kingdom of God is for women that the kingdom of God is for those who are not valued, that the kingdom of God is for those who are not appreciated, that the kingdom of God is for those who have turned their backs on Christ the Lord. And notice, notice what it says in verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for what? The kingdom of God. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He's looking for the kingdom of God. Mark is trying to drive home to us. All of us. Remember, his audience in Rome was both Jewish and and Gentile. And Mark knows that the gospel is going to go forth throughout the entire world. And so he's telling everyone that we all are welcomed and accepted in the kingdom of God through Christ. That the kingdom of God is for this Roman centurion. That the kingdom of God is for these women it's for Joseph of Arimathea, and it's for me, and it's for you. And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Here's the beautiful thing about the cross. Is that it is a reminder that God has delivered you, and He accepts you. We cannot work and earn our salvation and our acceptance. We'll never get in to the gold room, the silver room, the platinum room. Never. We will always end up in the alley, in the trash. Jesus has come for us. And He has come to deliver us, to save us. Because of Jesus, we are accepted into the family of God. He does it all from beginning to end. We're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark. And it has been clear as we have walked through this book, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that Jesus does it all. It's Jesus plus nothing else. He has come for us. And He is our hope. And this is for everyone. Think about John 3.16. You don't have to turn to your Bibles. You know it. For God so loved the world. 
for God so loved the world that whoever. Think about that. Whoever. That the gospel is now for everyone. That the gospel is going forth to me and to you. And that we rest in that. We rest in Jesus who is our deliverer. And we rest in the knowledge that we have a God who will never, ever forsake us. Let that be an encouragement to your souls this morning. As you continue in this journey that is called the Christian life, He is with you. He is beside you. He is in front of you. And He is behind you. He will never lose sight of you. You are His. We are His people. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we thank You for the acceptance that we have in Jesus. We thank You that You have delivered us. We thank You that You will never let us go. May that be an encouragement to us this morning on this journey that is the Christian life. It's in your Son's name and for His sake that we pray. Amen.